Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. So let's let's get into this. The, yeah, this week of Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. We're on the seventh commandment in our in our Ten Commandments series, and we're and we're just go, going through this. And again, a very, very simple commandment, very short. Verse 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. Um, so before, before we want to get into it, of this word, it's just what, what is adultery? And I think there's a lot of things. Actually, as, I was prepare, as we were preparing for this, I was just asking my friends randomly. It's like, hey, what do you think adultery is? Yeah, it was a very interesting. The, the faces on them, it was it was great. I, I did I did it in, in my in school. Like I asked a couple of my colleagues and stuff like that. So first of all, they just gave me that shock look, and I was like, "It's for I'm preparing for a sermon. It's not just because I'm doing research. You know, it's not that." So what what we heard there, there's a lot of views on what what that is. To to be honest. Uh, how that looks like and what what is involved in everything else, uh, but Trish, you you read an article today, right? Yes. About what is adultery? <laughs> yes. So we're gonna we're gonna get into what Scripture says about about this, but as far as the word itself, adultery in this text, it specifically means uh, having sexual relations with someone outside of marriage. Mm. So while Scripture talks a lot, there's other commandments throughout Scripture that talk about sexual immorality, having, um, again, sex outside of marriage where the two people are unmarried. Adultery itself has to do with people who are married and have sex with someone outside of marriage. So if you're not married and you're having sexual relations with someone, uh, that's still sexual immorality, it's, but it's called fornication. So it's, there's other commandments that cover that, but that's outside the scope of this specific commandment. So again, we're going to get more into that. Uh, but before we get more into it, one of the things that we did at the end of uh, last week's discussion, we added a small section to our podcast because we felt like we were so preoccupied with our different debates and with the topic that we, I, we kind of over-passionately emphasized um, the sinful nature of, of murder and of uh, how we commit murders just through hatred and in our hearts and in our thoughts. So we added uh, this verse here, and I just want to share it with you all. Uh, it says, this is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And this is an important reminder for today as well. It says, Now, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Anyway, it's all good. How ironic not. <laughs> so verse 11 says, That is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So that is the key part, is that we all have a past and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So with all of these commandments, some of them we, would, you know, we can feel really convicted. Um, some of them we may say doesn't apply as much to us. But all of us fall into some category of sin. And, and the scripture also teaches if you have committed one, if you've break the law in one area, you're guilty of them all. So before we cast stones at one or another and think of ourselves either more highly or, mm-hmm. or unworthy or less than we are, we have to remember that we've all been washed. We've all been cleansed by the, by the blood of Christ and by his, his work on the cross and through his resurrection. 
So as we get into today's text, we just wanted to make sure not only last week's teaching, but this week's teaching, we always have to look at it through the lens of not full of guilt and shame, but through the redemption that Christ did for us. Amen. Amen. So going back to to the commandment of adultery and everything else, I, again, the question is always like, why, why is he bringing this up right now? Why is he, why this made the Ten Commandments and... Uh, and why is he talking to the Israelites right now? Leviticus 18 starts off and tells us why. Um, gives us a good reason. And I think we mentioned this before, but I wanted to actually have this verse in front of us. Because um, this is God telling Moses to tell the Israelites. Uh, so Leviticus chapter 18, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I'm bringing you. Do not follow their practice. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. So he's preparing them. Again, remember, he took them as his own. As a representative, right? Second, second commandment teaches that do not bear, uh, do not my, use my name or bear the name um, the wrong way, right? Don't represent me in the wrong way. This mm. is who I am. This is my laws. You are going to represent me to the nations. So he's saying now that you're going to go out to these nations, don't act like the Egyptians did. They don't act like the people. You're supposed to be set apart from from everybody else. You're supposed you're you're doing the things the, the way I want you to do it, so that way people know who I am. So that's why he's tell he's teaching this because in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, adultery was a normal thing. Now, not only so, he talks more about that. So, so we're just going to jump into this because Trish kind of mentioned it that it's not just adultery, but many other. Uh, things that he he they talk about it right right after verse five it goes into uh, many uh, sexual things it says no one to approach any close relatives to have sexual relationship do not dishonor your father by having sexual relationship with your mother do not have sexual relationship with your father's wife do not have sexual relationship with your sister and it's like don't have sex with your mom with your aunt with your grandma like the sister like it's it's kind of it's kind of going through Daughters. but what but what it's what it's telling me is that that's what how they were living their life the egyptians and the things you know um in 20 it talks more verse 9 um sorry verse 10 it says if a man commits adultery with another man's wife with the wife of his neighbor both the adultery and adulteress must be put to death now we're talking about the consequences. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, uh, if a man sleeps with his father's wife, he has dishonored his father. Both the man and the woman must be put to death. If a man sleeps with his daughter-in-law, both of them must be put to death. If a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They must be put to death. If a man marries both the woman and her mother, it is wicked. Both he and them must be put to death. If a man has sexual relationship with an animal, they must be put to death. If a woman have a sexual relationship with an animal, they they put both to death. So there's all these things. Leviticus 
from 18 on, and Deuteronomy has a little bit of these things, a lot of connected to sexual um, immorality and things that the people of, of God should not be doing, but that means the other people were. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can look at like, oh, Egyptians and Canaanites. Here in America, this is happening in America. Like, mm-hmm. we don't have to look, oh, this, it's those people. No, mm-hmm. we, you, you go on website, you type in anything, and there's going to be pornography with all these images of, of everything. Like, even some stuff that the Bible doesn't mention. So they're warning them, do not be like them. So yes, this, is, this commandment is about adultery and about stepping out of your marriage. But there's more. There's more that we, we, need to, we can cover and everything else. But he was preparing us, telling us we need to be different. We need to be much, much different. We're going to get into uh, more of those things and why later on. But very important to, to uh, realize that we have to be separated even in, our, in, the, in the act of, of sexuality. We have to be different than what the world has shown and saying this is what's normal. No, it's going to be so much more. It's the marriage. And it's, there's a lot of importance why he stresses the marriage, right? So in Matthew chapter 19, we, first of all, we're, we're going to get into a little bit more of how God defines marriage so that we can better understand the act of adultery and why it's so uh, severe in, in God's eyes. So in Matthew chapter 19, in the context here, the Pharisees came to test Jesus and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And the reason they asked that is because that was the custom at the time. For whatever reason, you could get a divorce. Whether you just didn't like each other, whether they displeased you, whether you just you felt you wanted to move on. Uh, again, and this is, this is prevalent in our culture today. Uh, people get divorced for, I mean, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And they're not all because of marital unfaithfulness, which is what Jesus gets into. He says in verse 4, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And again, part of God's definition of marriage is the union of male and female, one man, one woman. And it says here, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and become united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And here's a key verse. It says, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And then they said, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hardened, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And they said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Because this command was so strong. And what Jesus was explaining was so countercultural that they said, this is, this is impossible. How do we even do this? And it would be better than just to not get married at all because of the problems that you face in marriage, that you are joined together with your spouse for life. So then in, in uh, just again, defining marriage, so it already quoted this here, but we go back to the beginning because God had an intention from the beginning. In Genesis 2, 23 through mm-hmm. 25, and I'm already here, so I'll just okay. go into that. Yeah. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So we, we need to realize, well, when we're talking about adultery and talking about breaking up marriages in that way, we're breaking up the, what God created and put together. This was his plan for us, is the husband and wife being together. So when, when there's some kind of uh, breakup, when there's intimacy that gets broken, where, where somebody goes, steps out of their, their marriage, that's when not only you're going against your spouse, but you're also going against, against God of how he created what marriage is supposed to be. God's, uh, the Matthew one, I love it, says what God put together, let no man separate. So when somebody comes in into marriage and seduces one of the spouses and takes them away or when one of the spouses goes away, they're literally breaking up what God created. So that's why marriage is, a, is such, a, such an important part of who we are and such an important part of the plan God has for us as human, as human beings. So another point about marriage, which we see from Genesis 2, is that when God creates all of humanity and he creates male and female, they're joined together in marriage. And that is the first vow, the first covenant that is made in scripture. And what we learn from that is that marriage, the union of a husband and wife, is the fundamental building block of society. Mm -hmm. And so a, a, a severing of that actually begins to unravel the fabric of society because not only the marriage is severed, but the family becomes broken and then the pattern continues through generation to generation and the very fabric of society starts to unravel when we do not honor the sanctity of marriage. Mm -hmm. So when, when God says do not commit adultery, he understands that, that marriage is the, the most basic uh, structure that holds society together. And so if that is compromised, if someone steps out of marriage and cheats or has an affair, uh, that not only does it ruin that unity, that marriage, but it affects the entire community. And understanding that kind of gives you the weight of why, I mean, we, we fundamentally just kind of know, right, that you shouldn't, people who are married shouldn't cheat. It's frowned upon. Even in our culture where divorce is so prevalent, sexual immorality is so prevalent, it's still frowned upon that someone who has an affair, you know, we just innately know that that's not how that vow should be taken, that, that the marriage vow should be taken seriously and should be honored. Yeah. And there, just to kind of finish off the verse 25 in, in, the, in, that, in that scripture says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt mm -hmm. no shame. So there's that intimacy between the two people. Those are the two people that uh, should have that. Like, as soon as you bring a third person in, that breaks up. Now there's a shame. As soon as you break sin, which we see, like, when there's a fall of, fall of men and, 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 they, and they sin, they realize that they're naked and they feel shame. So when there's the, – that's the kind of the separation of the things. It's like how beautiful it was that they were naked and they felt no shame because there was, there was nothing between them at that point. And now something came between them. In in this in this uh, in this scripture, it's it's the sin that came into the into the world, and now they feel shame. So in First Corinthians chapter six, we're going to jump a little bit to First Corinthians chapter six. We always like to do Old and New Testament so that you can see how the there's a unified testimony of scripture, and in First Corinthians chapter six, 
uh, starting in verse the end of verse 13, it says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And then when you jump to verse 18, it says, Flee from sexual immorality. And, and here's another important part. Not only is, is marriage sacred for the, the order of society, but it also says all other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And the way this is connected is if you look in Genesis where it says that the two become one flesh, the word for flesh can also mean person, nature. So it's not just a physical act. And I think that's part of the problem why we have taken sexuality so flippantly in our culture because we think it's just a physical act. You know, it lasts a few minutes, whatever, and then you move on. But we are physical, emotional, and spiritual beings. And so when you are sexually intimate with someone, you not only sin against your body, but there's an emotional and spiritual connection that takes place. And so you are sinning against your entire being. You're, and if, especially as Christians, we're meant to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the living God, the spirit of the living God is within us. And when we unite ourselves with someone, especially outside of marriage, then we are sinning against the Holy Spirit. We're grieving the Holy Spirit with from whom we are meant to be sacred and holy and pure in the image of God. Did you want to? Yeah. No, I just just kind of jump it. Just keep uh, keep on reading with about marriage and and being um, f- away from sexual immorality. immorality um, is what what can we do? So First Corinthians chapter seven is it's like the marriage chapter really in the Bible. So even says, not for the matter you wrote about, it is good for men not to marry. And of course, uh, this is Paul speaking on his, on his conviction. Well, it's for him only. But he, he talks about this. But since there is so much immorality, sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. He's like, there's, there's so much uh, problems out there. Like in, instead of, instead of doing all these silly things and sinning and everything else, marry and be together. Find that person that, that you can love and be together and be sexual with them and have freedom in that and, and honor God in that union instead of finding little sneaky things to do. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. So it's it's the this understanding that, and you're not ashamed. You two come in together, and they're not and they're naked. And they're not ashamed. That's that's kind of the goal with this. Instead of trying to be holy and not getting married because Paul said it's it's not a good thing, but then you're dealing with all this sinful uh, sexual desires and and you're sinning because of it. It's rather just get married, honor the marriage, honor the unity, and come together on the time that you're supposed to. So we see that God ordained for marriage between a man and a woman, just one man, one woman to be united together um, before the eyes of God in order to set an example for society, to set an example of God's relationship to, to humanity, which we're going to get into in a little bit. Uh, but it it also is meant to protect us um, so that we do not. So in First Corinthians seven, just going on in verse uh, 
verse 8 and 9, verse 9, it says, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So getting married in the, in the New Testament, again, Jesus already said, because you're, you're not allowed to get a divorce and marriage is so sacred that there was this movement within the early church that they said it's better not to get married at all, just to, so that you're de- fully devoted to the Lord. You're not distracted by a spouse. You're not distracted by family matters, but you can completely and wholly serve the Lord. And part of that was because they believed, which which we believe too, that the Lord's return is imminent. Now, granted, it's been 2,000 years, and so we, we've kind of adapted to this. But Paul gives the concession that you should marry rather than it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Uh, but but God's standard in the New Testament is that the church is his bride, and so we're completely and fully demo- devoted to the Lord. Uh, and it says here in verse 10, to the married I give this command, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. So re- this is reiterating what Jesus had said, that what God has joined together, let no one separate. And so while, while uh, divorce obviously happens, the only grounds for divorce is for someone to be unfaithful physically, uh, being unfaithful to the marriage. Because when you bring someone else into the marriage, you've already broken that marriage vow. In fact, throughout scripture, a marriage was not considered, uh, until, until the marriage was consummated, the marriage was not considered fully valid. So by having sex with someone outside of marriage, you've now formed that physical, emotional, and spiritual bond with someone other than your spouse. So you've already broken your vow. And that's why there's this concession that you can, you can divorce on the grounds of marital unfaithfulness. Because that by being unfaithful, you've already broken the bond of marriage. So we've been talking about the physical aspects of, of adultery and obviously the, the sexual act and being intimate with someone outside of marriage. But Jesus takes this standard to another level um, where it's not just the physical act of sexuality, but we see that as, as always, Jesus says that while you should not commit adultery and he takes, a, he takes the standard of God even higher. Uh, so we go to Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five, verse 27. And many of us have heard this before. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. It starts off, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And again, we've already heard this. Where is he quoting from? He's quoting from Exodus chapter 20. And he says, but I tell you, and this is when we have to get ready that Jesus is going to take it to another level, uh, where we all start to feel convicted about this, even if we have not stepped outside of marriage. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he has taken it to this emotional. So not only is adultery a physical act, but adultery is actually an emotional act as well. So whether it's a man or a woman lusting after someone, um, that is considered you've already committed adultery in your heart. And I would believe that pretty much everybody at the table has at some point or another uh, been attracted to someone or lusted after someone uh, with their eyes and with their heart. The, the second layer of this is for, it says that a man looks lustfully at a woman, but the same is true vice versa for a woman looking at a man. And we also realize that women in a lot of ways are more, again, this is about emotional adultery, 
that women are actually more prone to an emotional adultery where they are not feeling fulfilled or you know emotionally satisfied by their spouse and they start to form an attraction and an emotional bond with someone outside of marriage that is an emotional affair and getting it doesn't mean that you can't be friends with with anyone outside of your marriage but there's if you develop a a relationship where you find yourself making excuses to see that person trying to have conversations and you're kind of looking forward and there's an eagerness to be with them um whether male or female that that attraction once that attraction comes in you've already emotionally stepped outside of your marriage and that is seen as mm -hmm. as an adulterous an emotional adultery that the bible makes very clear um is not permissible within a marriage and so that's something that if we've been guilty of that that we need to repent and again god is always gracious and he forgives but we may not have realized that an emotional affair is through the eyes of God seen as just as severe as the physical act of adultery. Yeah, and I appreciate that saying because especially working with uh, discipling men and everything else and young, young, young adults with guys, they, they look at that scripture and they come up with their own standards. It's if, they, if I look at them twice, if I look at them up and down, if I... Look at them longer than twenty seconds. I remember. I remember there, there was there was one time this guy, he's he's like, there there was him and I were there, and the woman was walking by, and he put his head down. I was like, wow, that's really good. Like in my head, I'm thinking about, but after he passed by, he turned around and checked her out, and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, it was the first time that I looked at her. It's the second glance. So he's like, so I saved my first glance for the better of you, and I was like, oh my gosh. It's like you are so off to the left, <laughs> but people start getting like this. They they start playing with this of like how what can I do where it's not gonna be judged? And I think as soon as you start thinking about that, that's where you're already sinned. That's when you already got yourself in trouble. Where where you're like. Well, what what can I do if I watch just this and not that? If I if I look at that person longer, if I talk to them, if I buy them gifts, as soon as you start having those my uh, thoughts about it and how it can and justifying it, that's when you have sinned. That that that's the problem. So because so that way, because because we have these standards of like, well, I did not have sex with them. I did not. No, there's. God has higher standards than that for us, and that's where we need to stand on it, on the on the on those things, on what Jesus have taught us. That it's just it's the thoughts, it's the heart. Just like last week we talked about, it's about your heart and where you at. It's not it's not just the action, but it's the heart itself. So you could be walking around with your head down, but all you're thinking about is all the women that's around you, or all the men's around you. You already have fallen. So not only the physical, but also the emotional, we see that there's other, there's other categories as well. For someone who is married, who is engaging in, uh, who's engaging in pornography, this is covered. Um, also, uh, we, I forgot to mention, one of the things that it talks about in uh, Matthew chapter 5, I'm kind of going back to the physical, but I realize we, we missed this. Uh, this is about divorce. It says in verse 31 and 32, and then we'll get back on track. I apologize, but we missed this, and it's important. It says in Matthew chapter 5, 31 and 32, Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So 
another aspect that we have in our culture is that not only are people prevalently getting divorced all the time, but they're also remarrying. And once you remarry, you've, that's technically the act of adultery. So we, again, are in Christ and in Christ there's forgiveness and scripture makes it clear that this is the standard. But we, you know, it doesn't mean that if you've been remarried, you're supposed to leave that person and go back to your original spouse. That's not, that's not what God intended. But we do have to understand that being divorced, if you're divorced, you should stay unmarried at that point. Because unless you're reconciled to your original spouse, that is the act of adultery. So thank God for his grace, right? Because we, like I said, we all fall short of the glory of God. And all of these things uh, can be really convicting because these are things that are so common in our culture. And a lot of churches don't talk about this because it makes people very uncomfortable. So getting back to the, I know it makes me very uncomfortable. Uh, So getting back to the, uh, the consequences and the emotional component of uh, this is, in Second Samuel chapter twelve, oh. do you have this one? No, no. I was, I was just still thinking about other stuff. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. It's just sometimes I, when we're teaching, we have our own revelation. So just be patient. No, no. It's, no. It's just one of those things in the First Corinthians chapter seven when we talked about. I'm sorry, it's it's going there just because you you brought us back to physical. I feel like I need, I need to talk about that. Is that one of the things that said? Um, they said, don't, um, what does it say? <laughs> it's saying, don't deprive one another. Because what happens is when you deprive one another, then, then that gives the room to, for the sin to creep in. Okay? Is and, that like sexually? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely, that's, that's absolutely. Sexually and emotionally. That when you deprive each there other. Is, and emotionally. Right, and emotionally, because when you deprive each other, the likelihood that you will step outside the marriage dramatically increases. And that doesn't mean that you blame the spouse, because we've heard time and time again, sometimes women are blamed, because if if a husband has an affair, it's like, well, was the wife satisfying him? Um, I don't know. We've all heard these arguments, and that... The fact that that's not happening does not give an excuse for someone to step outside of marriage. At the same time, we do have to understand that if you don't have a sexually healthy marriage and an emotionally healthy marriage, the likelihood of either the husband or the wife stepping out is increased. And so the Bible encourages us to cultivate a healthy sexuality and a healthy emotional marriage. Yeah, the the scripture actually talks about consent. It says, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent. And for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. So, if you are depriving each other from sexual, sexual, emotional, sexual, let's go, let's stick with that one. Is because you guys talked about it, and there's a reason. It's not just like using it as a weapon, mm. but using it as a reason. This one, it says, you, pr- you start praying. It's like you know what? We're not gonna have sexual relationships until we pray and read half of the Bible. They <laughs> are fasting, exactly. But it says, and That's then. A new one. And then it says, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So it's, it's very, I just wanted to speak on that because there is that, that portion that, that we can get in trouble where we're in the marriage where we're not co- communicating. I think that's the biggest thing. So it's not, there wasn't enough or it's just people just didn't talk about it. Like one person's like, you know, once a year is good, and the other person's like, once a day is good, and they're on this this big thing, and nobody's talking. 
I'm just throwing exaggerating things. We've I'm done just, a lot of marriage counseling over the years, and you'd be surprised. People have drastically different expectations, and they don't talk it through. They don't That's, talk honestly. Yeah. And it, it, it ends up eroding the marriage because they're not having honest conversations about these expectations. So that that's the biggest thing. The biggest thing is the communication and that there's consent and how long and how much because otherwise people might get tempted. Right. Exactly. That's all I wanted to say. And if you're not having for, – for the men, a lot of times if you're not physical – there becomes an emotional, again, we're talking about the emotional component of this. Mm-hmm. There's an emotional uh, resentment and emotional frustration that takes place. Uh, and the same can be true for women, that if, if the expectations are not being met on a regular basis, if the, if the relationship is not sexually healthy, there becomes this emotional wall that takes place um, that separates the, the husband and the wife. Remember, we're not only physical, but we're emotional beings. And so that emotional component is very real. And Ephesians chapter 5 reiterates this, this emotional component, where we just read how it says not to deprive yourselves physically. It says in verse 28 of Ephesians chapter 5, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So there's a command here for a husband to love his wife in the same way. And, and obviously wives should also love their husbands. And that is a, a piece of, in order to keep the marriage sacred and uh, pure, not only should you be physically active, but you have to emotionally cultivate that relationship because they feed into the physical intimacy as well as the physical intimacy feeding into the emotional components. Mm-hmm. So the last part, which actually starts in the same text in Ephesians chapter 5, um, the last component of adultery is a theme throughout Scripture, is that there is, there's not only a physical act of adultery and there's an emotional act of adultery, but there is a spiritual act of adultery. And this is not, necess- this is not against your spouse, but this is against the Lord. And it says in Ephesians chapter 5, where is it here? I lost my, it says here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, it reiterates that verse, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. We've heard this repeated over and over again as the example for marriage. But it says this in verse 32, where there's this transition to to what's considered a spiritual union. It says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So the metaphor for is between our relationship between God and the church, between God and his people, he, God intentionally uses marriage as this metaphor that the church is the bride of Christ, that the church is, in Revelation, it actually talks about the wife coming down from, from heaven. And, and Jesus refers to himself many times as the bridegroom. Throughout the Old Testament, there's also this metaphor that God and his people, that Israel was his wife and she was unfaithful. So there's a metaphor that's resounding throughout scripture that part of the reason why God takes marriage so seriously is because it's meant to be an example and a metaphor of God's relationship with his people. So we, by not being faithful to God, are committing a spiritual act of adultery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also in verse 25, just kind of keep on going on on this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up 
uh, for her to make her holy, cleansing her, her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So it's it's that repeating again. It's that spiritual thing. There's a reason why he uses marriage, because he he put the marriage on earth for us, and now he's using it to represent his relationship with us, his relationship with the church, his relationship as 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 the body. It's it's a very important uh, part about it. In Hosea, uh, Hosea chapter chapter one verse two. It talks about when the Lord began to speak to Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vital adulter- vilest adultery in the departing from the Lord. So, so he's now he's going te- to teach something to, to the people of Israel. So he's using the, the prophet Hosea uh, to talk about how adulterous, the people of God became, and that's why we're, 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 we wanted to bring this together. To the to me, the important part, the marriage is important, the physicalness and the emotional part is very important. But again, we when we step away from God, we become adulterous. That's why he's he start he compares us all the time. That's why he focuses so much on marriage and, and of of two becoming one because we became with him. His Holy Spirit is in us. We became as one. He's in us. So he takes us really seriously. And, and when he had the covenant with the Israeli people, all of a sudden they become adulterers because they started looking to the left, to the right. So he uses Hosea to teach him something about that. My, my, what's even more, Ezekiel sees the same thing. They're, they're all kind of in, in the same time. We give a little disclaimer. So Ezekiel... Chapter 16. <laughs> we're, we're not going to get too far into it because it is one of the most explicit chapters in Scripture. Uh, you can read it on your own and just kind of be appalled at the metaphors that of how vile and how bad uh, God views our fornicating by not being faithful to God. And he uses this illustration of what Israel has done and how Israel has prostituted itself. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going get, to get into a little one. Yes. Just to begin with, uh, chapter 16 of Ezekiel, verse 8. Later, le- later I passed by, and when I looked at you, he's talking about Israel, and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. This is God talking to the, to the Israel. Very beautiful how he covered them, how he loved them, how he protected them. I bathed you with water and washed you the blood from and put an ointment on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress. I put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen. It's just talking about this beautiful... Beautiful things. Your food was fine flour, honey, and olive oil. You became very beautiful and rose to be queen. It's just talking about all these great things that because God has loved Israel, it became flourishing. He loved them so much. And then things <laughs> turn. And again, we're not going to read through this, but he says, You engage in prostitution with Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, and provoke me to anger with your increasing promiscuity. Right? Promiscuity. Promiscuity. Thank you. You got this. In verse 28, it says, You engage in prostitution with Assyrians too, because you were insatiable. And even after that, you still were not satisfied. Then you increased your 
What's the word? Promiscuity. To include Babylonia and land of merchants. But even with this, you were not satisfied. So now all of a sudden, he's, now he's talking about how he's not saying that you're going to other guys. He's saying you're whoring yourself out because you see something in Assyria. You see something in Babylon. You see something in uh, Egypt. Now you're going back, back and forth about this. And it, he's, this is like, I, I love it. I feel like you hear the frustration. You adulterous wife. You prefer strangers to your own husband. Every prostitute receives a fee, but you give gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from from everywhere for your illicit favors. So he's saying you become so cheap. Like normally prostitutes get money for what they're doing. You're giving them stuff to be with you. Like this is a place where where God is so frustrated with God, uh, with with Israel, with these people, because they turned away so far away from, him, and he sees it as as you broken the covenant so much that like it's really really crude. The whole thing. I mean, it becomes really really crude <laughs> later on. But but he's very frustrated because he sees this that when we turn away from him, when we start looking to the left and to the right, what the world has, what other religions has. You really, he has loved you. He has given everything to you. He's given your, his son to you, his love to you, his protection, his Holy Spirit to you, and you still go somewhere else. That, that's the hard part. And you, do, you get nothing out of it. Just like he says, at least the prostitutes get some money out of it. You don't get nothing. You're given to them. So he's like in this frustrating place, but that's what we do when we turn away from God. So the final point is not only do we commit spiritual adultery when we pursue other gods and when we abandon our faith after all that God has done and how he's been faithful, but in Matthew chapter 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, this is the beginning of chapter 16, verse 1, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 4, He says, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus left them and went away. And what is he talking about here that it is a wicked and adulterous generation uh, who looks for signs and wonders? And I think this is so true and so convicting about the church today because we look and we chase after signs and wonders. We want God to do something. We want him to break through. We want the spirit to manifest with the miraculous, with supernatural things. We want, and we chase after even prophetic words, um, looking after God's hand and what he can give us rather than pursuing his presence. Like it said in Ezekiel 16, that you would prefer these other things rather than the intimacy with your own husband. And mm-hmm. so God is saying, you're not looking for intimacy with me. You're not looking mm-hmm. for my presence. You're looking for what my hand can give you. So yes. this prosperity gospel stuff, all of these things that the church is pursuing, if in God's eyes is a spiritual adultery because mm-hmm. we're pursuing all of these worldly things and we're, we're looking for what God can do for us rather than looking for, for the intimacy with him and being in his presence. So when he, when he says do not commit adultery, yes, he's talking about the marriage and everything else, but he has so much more because he knows who he's sending you to. And he's sending us into the world. And the world has all those things. He said, don't, don't cheat on me. 
I'm, I'm better. I'm better than anything that they can give you. Focus he is a jealous me. God. Yeah. He is a jealous God. He's a loving God. He's merciful, but there's also justice <laughs> that's coming. So don't, don't sell yourself for anything because he bought you for a price. Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.